Welcome to Game Over Montreal. We are in the most unfamiliar of situations for this show. A third straight Montreal Canadiens win. Before yesterday, they hadn't even won two straight, and now it's three straight. It's an embarrassment of riches, and it's over the Maple Leafs, so there's a lot of Montreal Canadiens fans that are very happy tonight, despite the fact that there isn't too much to cheer for this season. I've got two wonderful guests with me today. We've got Wabgisha Grice and Tim Peel. How's it going, guys? Oh, I forgot to set the scoreboard. Well, I'll do that while you guys are talking. Oh, go ahead, Tim. Feel free. No, thank, thanks for having me, Andrew. I'm looking forward to talking about the Habs. I watched the game tonight, and it's exciting to see the turnaround. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me, Andrew. Uh, really stoked to join you both uh, to talk about the game. Not ideal on my end as a Leafs fan, but still entertaining nonetheless, right? So, Yeah, I mean, at the very least, the, the Leafs don't uh, play non-entertaining games, right? Whether it's, <laughs> you know, them blowing it or them... Uh, blowing teams out of the water. There's always something there for Toronto. I feel like if you're a Maple Leafs fan coming out of that game, you look at the positives, right? I thought Matthews was a little bit quiet tonight, but I thought Mitch Marner looked fantastic. Michael Bunting is like found money. Ridiculous how good he is. And then I think Morgan Riley had a really good night tonight. Yeah. So like there, there's that. There's little things to hang on to. And the yeah, fact and that I they're really good. And at least it wasn't five nothing, you know. Uh, save face with a couple goals in the third period there, right? Hundred percent. So, Wob, so you're not going to like what I have to say, and it's hard for me to say this because I grew up in New Brunswick, and uh, I grew up a Toronto Maple Leaf fan, and it was difficult because I grew up, you know, I'm, I'm 55, so I grew up in the 70s when Sittler and the boys were playing, and every Saturday night Montreal would beat Toronto yeah. on hockey night in Canada. It was tough to watch as a kid. So my heart, you know, has always been a Toronto Maple Leaf fan, but I just, I still have major concerns about this team going into the playoffs. Mm-hmm. When I look at a team like, like I, I went to the Blues game the other day uh, mm-hmm. and Calgary was in town. I hadn't seen Calgary live yet this year. And they're a heavy team. They're a heavy team. They, yeah. they are built for the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And it's my, it's a concern of mine for the Leafs. Are they physical enough on the back end? I don't know. Yeah, it really does seem like the treads are wearing kind of thin on the wheels there. And especially on, on the defensive side, right? Like I, I tweeted, I retweeted something I said earlier in the season back in November, how this is the most pleased I was with the Leafs defensive core since the McCabe and Caberlet era. But I, I kind of retract that uh, statement now because, uh, yeah, it just something's wrong on the back end there. And uh, I have lost confidence too, absolutely. Like Shel- Sheldon Keith, though, did a really good job yesterday of getting this Labushkin from Arizona. I've seen him play a lot. He's physical. He's got a little mean streak to him. Uh, and he got him for nothing, really. Yeah. And uh, so that's – listen, we're, we're sitting here – you know, talking about what they need. Uh, Sheldon Keefe and Shanahan, they're not, they're smart hockey guys. They know what they need. And that's why they picked up this physical defenseman from, from Arizona. So yeah, absolutely. And we are going to talk a lot about the Canadians on this show, but I do want to lean into a little bit on that trade because I feel like there's lots of Leafs fans here on a channel that was built on the back of Leafs fans. So let's entertain them a little bit because I've seen a lot of criticism of Kyle Dubas this season. And listen, I get it because they've gone out of the first round. Was it five straight years? It sucks from that perspective. And last season really does feel like a choke and they ran it back this season. But the fact that they essentially took three flyers on guys in the off season in Kasha bunting and Richie hit absolute home runs on two of them. And then the one that didn't work out happened to be the one that was signed for more money and longer term. And then they move that contract out. Don't keep any salary back. Fill an actual need. Right. Like that is unbelievable. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, anytime you're in a market like Toronto and obviously when you, you know, it's like what, what the Edmonton uh, management is dealing with now, when you've got one of the best players in the league, 
in Austin Matthews and surrounded by Marner and, and Spets, or not Spetsa, but uh, Tavares and so on, you know, the expectations are obviously really high for that team. And, uh, but it's tough in the playoffs. It's, you know, I always say like, as a referee, I loved working the first round of the playoffs because mm-hmm. there was, there was a, every team thinks they can win uh, when they get into the first round. Then things kind of settle out after the first round, but the first round is the toughest round to get through. It's physical, it's tough. And, you know, we saw it a couple of years ago when Columbus upset Tampa and beat them four straight. Yeah. You know, it's not easy. It's tough to get through the first round. So we'll see. Yeah. And those of us Leaf fans in, in our armchairs are, you know, the biggest critics of them all. Right. Uh, and I think, you know, the patience has worn thin quite a bit. But of course, you know, we have not played the game. Most of us, we don't know what it's like to get into that first round. And, you know, Tim, as you say, I'm sure you see the momentum bounce back and forth and then someone locks it in. Right. And that's what, you know, advances a team in the playoffs. So, yeah, I haven't seen it yet as a fan. I'm, I'm hoping, you know, they'll delight us at some point but um you know a couple months to go so i may as well try to be a little bit optimistic and hopeful and see if they can add those pieces right and turn it around but yeah and we'll see and, and jake muzzin going fan. down tonight's uh i mean it was yeah. awful to watch the the head yeah. smash off the ice but that's got to be a very worrying thing for the leafs going forward because he and is huge on I, back end i don't think that's a 5-2 hockey game if campbell is in net because Morazic, as you saw, he really slides from left to right and puts himself out of, he put himself out of the, out of position on the Cole Caulfield goal at the end of the period. And he put himself out of position on one of the other goals. He slides over too much and uh, goalies that move too much. Like for example, here in St. Louis, we've got Billy Huso. Billy Huso never looks like he has to make an acrobatic save. He's always square to the puck, square to the puck. And, and that's kind of the new goalies now. You, you, you look at uh, uh, Vasilevsky in Tampa. He doesn't make acrobatic saves like uh, Fleury does with Chicago. You know, the, the new goalies that are really good, they're good positionally. And they're always in position to make the save. 100%. I feel like that kind of era was uttered in in a lot of ways by like the price Lundqvist generation right. right where it's not necessarily the the windmill saves everything is i mean people some people call it blocking but it's just playing the percentages right yeah. it, you see often uh in games where a goalie is playing exceptionally well you see frustrated fans be like oh well, everybody's just shooting it into their crest that's because the goaltender is playing the shot perfectly right there's nothing to yeah. shoot at so it goes you know directly the best, one, of, one of the best guys at that was and he won a stanley cup was jean sebastian jaguer for the anaheim mm-hmm. mighty ducks mm-hmm. he he was always in position and that's what makes a good goalie mm-hmm. you know? so you you look at pricer pricer he, yeah he makes some acrobatic glove saves and so on but he's always square to the shooter he's always yeah. square to the puck He's not scrambling all over the net. We saw it with Morazic tonight. He's just sliding yeah. over too much, you know. So, but you got to play your backup. Like you have mm-hmm. to play your backup, Jack. You know, Jack Campbell. You can't ride him because when playoff time comes, he's going to be. He's just going to be too tired, and he's yeah. not going to be sharp. So, mm-hmm. that might be a concern for the Leafs. You know, going forward over the next couple months, is can their backup goalie win them games? Mm-hmm. Yeah. At the very least, they don't really have to worry about not making the playoffs, right? So I no. guess the main thing no. is, do you want to face Tampa or Florida in the first round? And that's kind of the that's not it's not a great choice, no matter. What. <laughs> that's exactly what that's yeah. exactly what I was talking about. The first round, like, yeah, say the Leafs lose in the first round, they lose to Tampa or Florida. Toronto media, every fans, everyone's going to be, but that's a tough series. Like that's yeah. a tough series. Mm-hmm. Even one of those teams, they're two quality teams and yeah. very good teams. So I don't envy the Toronto management or the Toronto team because they're in a tough position. They're in a tough division there. It's, it's not easy. It's not easy to get, get out of that division. So, yeah. And e- even if they do happen to take the division in first and Boston ends up fourth, you know, there's all those ghosts coming back to haunt. Yep. Them, right. And that's just gotta infect, be infecting their minds constantly. Right. It's, it's weird to think that I think you could make a legitimate argument that four of the five best teams in the Eastern Conference are in the Atlantic. 
hundred percent. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. hundred percent. I completely agree with you. Like no disrespect to the penguins who I think are also legit. Yeah. They're a great team, but I think they're just like right below the rest of those guys. And it's like Carolina and then the four Atlantic playoff teams. Yeah, I saw somebody tweet it's like the AL East in baseball, you know, Yankees, right. Red Sox, Blue Jays, Tampa, everybody. Right. Like that. That's a good analogy, actually. Mm-hmm. It really pushes the idea of doing a one through 16 uh, seeding in the playoffs, right? I, I know Leafs fans want to get out of this division really bad. <laughs> <laughs> At a certain point, I mean, there's always an imbalance between the conferences, right? Years ago, it was the West was the powerhouse. Now it's the East. Wow. It goes back and forth, but I think for any time that you're in the conference, that's the powerhouse and you're one of those teams that maybe isn't the top team, you're, mm-hmm. you're just trying to battle through. It's got to be just so deflating to every year have no, I mean, there's no easy matchups, but no easier matchup, right? Like if you're mm-hmm. the Colorado Avalanche, you're not going to be facing as t- for tough of a first round matchup as the Florida Panthers are. No, so you're just not. No, no, you're absolutely right. It is a tough division. So. Well, let's talk about Montreal. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So the Montreal Canadiens, I think the main thing that's got everybody talking here right now is Cole Caulfield, right? And him and Josh Anderson had an absolute barn burner of a night tonight. And Mm -hmm. Caulfield now, I believe, has five goals and three assists in the six games since St. Louis took over. Total night and day situation. Now, I saw a lot of people... You know, and we've talked about it a few times on the show, just absolutely ripping Dom Ducharme and saying things that are probably a little bit too far, but it's probably not a coincidence that all of a sudden he's ripping it up under Marty St. Louis. I know that he (laughs) said that he wore 26 as a kid in honor of St. Louis. He was like the guy that he looked up to and people found videos of uh, Cole Caulfield, I think around seven years old, wearing 26. So he wasn't just blowing smoke there. Right. That's got to be part of it. You know, he's just jazzed to play for St. Louis, but he looks like the guy that we saw in the playoffs and we mm-hmm. hadn't seen that yeah. most of this year. Mm-hmm. You know, I guys, I do a radio show here in St. Louis with Jamal Mayers, the ex-player and Andy Strickland. And we talked about it last Tuesday and they asked me what I thought about, you know, Marty being the coach and so on. And, and I, right off the bat, I go, I love it. I go, mm-hmm. I go, I love it. I think it's a great idea. I said, same thing in Edmonton with Jay Woodcroft. I said, no, no disrespect to Dave Tippett. Dave Tippett, hey, he's a good person. He had a good NHL career. He's been a good coach in the NHL. But at the end of the day, Dave Tippett hasn't won anything. He had a good run with, with Arizona years ago. But at the end of the day, he hasn't won a Stanley Cup. He hasn't, you know, he hasn't won anything. And I think it's I think it's really important with the the, the new NHL is to bring in these younger guys with fresh ideas. And I love, like, you know, I don't know what Edmonton's record is, five and one, five and two since since uh, Woodcroft took over. And you look at Marty, and you can just see they're more energized, they're more relaxed. He wants them to have fun. And I read an article. I was joking with Jamal Mayers because Jamal and I coach our sons together here in St. Louis, and it's a squirt team, and squirt's one level below peewee. Mm-hmm. And I go, Jammer, I go, you could have been the head coach of the Montreal Canadiens if you had been coaching a peewee team this year. <laughs> and we laugh. But I read an article that, that Marty talked about, about even at the, pee- at the peewee level, it's still got to be fun for these guys. Mm-hmm. And, and I love John Tortorella. I love Torts. I love these old school coaches. I really do. Because that's, how, that's the era that I came up in. But with the players that are coming up in the league now, and and it's not it's not a shot at them, but they're millionaires at 21 years old. Mm-hmm. Okay. Unlike years ago, where you had to play six, seven, eight years to earn your stripes and to and to be accepted, you know, it's not like that anymore. You know, mm-hmm. you've got these young studs, Kale McCarr in Colorado coming in at 19, 20, 21 years old, they're the best player on the ice. So the way you have to approach them is completely different than it was. I was going to say 10 years ago, but even five Mm -hmm. years ago, it's completely Mm -hmm. different. And that's why a Sheldon Keith can relate to, to these young players in in Toronto, Mm -hmm. maybe more so than a Mike, Mike Babcock did. And the same thing with, 
with Marty in, in Montreal and the same thing with Jay Woodcroft in Edmonton. I think we're seeing a changing of the guard where you're going to see, you're not going to regurgitate the old, same old coaches every year. I think they're going to bring in new guys, you know, Craig Berube and I won't, I'll, I'll stop here soon, but Craig Berube is a good friend of mine. And, and I was with him the other night having dinner in St. Louis and he's had to adjust his, because, you know, Craig, he, he played a thousand games. He was one of the toughest you know, son of a guns on the ice. Mm-hmm. He was an old school hockey player. And he said to, he said to change his approach the last couple of years to give the Jordan Kairos confidence, let them go do what they do best. Don't mm-hmm. try to rein, rein them in, let them do what that, the, the reason, this is the reason they're so good. You can't ask them to play a certain style that they're not comfortable with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's obvious that mentorship has to play such a key role, especially in the development of those 19, 20, 20 year old dudes, right, who have additional spotlights and pressures on them, like social media and answering to, you know, the regular traditional media and so on. And of course, you need like that hardline disciplinarian approach from a coach, you need that sort of toughness instilled in you. But at the same time, you need that sort of you know, that camaraderie uh, uh, piece as part of it too. And and I think someone like Martin St. Louis, of course, there's sentimentality attached to hiring somebody like that, but he's a guy, he's a winner, proven winner, but he's played the game from youth all the way up to the highest level, you know, and to mentor someone like Cole Caulfield just has to be huge. And you mentioned that goal earlier, Tim, where Mrazic slid across, like you knew that puck was going in as soon as Cole Caulfield wound up like you knew it was going in because like he just exercised that that confidence and that patience there and just straight line into the net right it was pretty impressive you know Andrew we're we're we don't want to Wob and I don't want to take over the show here but (laughs) no I'm enjoying it but but it's important to tell this story because Marty St. Louis when I I grew up in St. John New Brunswick as I mentioned earlier Marty St. Louis played for the for the St. John Flames which was Calgary's farm team too small, not, not good enough, uh, not good enough to play, not good. He played for the Detroit Vipers in the IHL. He played in the AHL, good minor, uh, minor league player, not good enough to play in the NHL. Well, guess what? He's in the Hockey Hall of Fame. Mm. He's in the Hockey Hall of Fame because he, he you know, I don't want to swear, but he basically said, you know what, to everybody else said, I'm going to, you guys don't think I can make it. I can make it. He believed in himself. Mm-hmm. And I guarantee you that resiliency and perseverance that he's, that he is, uh, uh, that he has over the years, he can now transfer that into the dressing room and say, you know what? I heard the other day when he took the job that he went in the dressing room and threw some money on the table and said, this is going to your team fund because I hear you guys haven't been having a lot of fun this year and I want you guys to have fun. And that's the kind of attitude that he's going to bring to this organization. Yeah. I've heard a lot of people talk about the personality of Martin St. Louis and like the gravitas that he has. And, you know, there's X's and O's that, you know, maybe at the NHL level, he doesn't have the experience at that point part of it yet even though he seems to have a lot of plans of what he wants to do based on some of the stuff that he's talked about in interviews so far and i mean frankly to me he's saying all the right stuff so i'm really excited to see what he's got going there but in terms of just part of being a coach is inspiring right and if you can't be inspired by martin st louis get out right you're not gonna last very long in the league and you know what, Andrew, to your point, he's got a great assistant coach in, in Luke Richardson. Luke mm-hmm. Richardson knows the game. He's a smart hockey guy, very well respected. I love the man. And maybe I've got a soft spot for what he went through a few years ago with his daughter. But mm-hmm. I always respected Luke Richardson. And and Marty's got a good guy that's been – he can lean on Luke and say, hey, what should we do here? And I guarantee you Luke's giving him some good advice. So – they would be smart. Montreal would be smart to keep Luke Richardson in the, in that organization. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I think that uh, he's relatively safe, especially after when he had to take over behind the bench during the playoffs last year. Right. And arguably, the Canadians played their best yeah, of the playoffs last year. Right. Yeah, he, right. the the players seem to really like Luke Richardson and want to play for him. So I think he's of the guys who are on the coaching staff still, uh, not Neymar, Dan St. Louis, probably the most safe. Uh, speaking of the Montreal Canadiens winning streak here, three games, three wins. Anyone know how many games it took for their last three wins? I'm going to say 45 days. <laughs> well, I didn't count it up in days, but it was 26 games, so probably over 45 days. About 45, wow. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Wow. You know, like, but like to, to all the Montreal listeners, so tonight is if I was you, if I was the Montreal fans, I would be ecstatic on the hire of Jeff Gordon. People, people don't know a lot about him. He wasn't a, he's not a high profile flashy guy. He just goes about his business, but he was a big reason that the Bruins won years ago. He, he helped build that team. Then he goes to Montreal or I'm sorry, New York does a tremendous job there. Do you think that I love Chris Drury? And he picked up Ryan Reeves this year, but that team is Scott Gordon's team from from what Scott did, okay, with draft picks and and, and forming that team. Scott Gordon is a really, really, really smart hockey guy, mm. and I think Montreal in, in hiring Kent Hughes, I think in a, in you know three four years they're going to be in. It's no coincidence that Scott did this in Boston and then he did it in New York and now he's gone to Montreal. He's going to do a great job there. Yeah, he, he's a builder, right? That's, he is a builder. that's what he likes to do. Um, I did want to get your take on this a little bit, uh, Tim, because you love, you're the rules analyst for Daily Faceoff now. So it's not necessarily like it has nothing to do with the actual rules as they're written. But in your opinion, uh, what happened at the end of the second period between when Nick Suzuki ran over, I believe it was Justin Hole, in that situation where Spezza goes in and fights a player for a clean hit, do you think that there should be some sort of ramification for that outside of roughing? Like, no, there's I a lot of pushback, I think, from fans on the hitting after clean hits, but it doesn't seem like there's that much no, from that's a good, the NHL. That's a very good question. I actually tweeted out a couple days ago. It bothers the shit out of me when players have to fight after throwing a good hit. Mm. This is exactly what I said. And but this tonight wasn't a fight. And yeah. I said to my son Bronson, he's nine years old, and we were watching the game together. And and I was making notes and so on. And my good buddy Wes McCauley was doing the game, and they did a good job. You know, there was they did. People want to always you know, bash the rest, but the refs, if you asked anybody who was reffing tonight, they probably didn't even know because the refs weren't even mentioned, yeah. but they handled it right because Suzuki hits a hole, clean hit, not a problem with that. Spezza comes over, gives him a little cross check, grabs him, maybe throws a couple punches and then hole comes in. And I said to Bronson, I go at the end of whatever happens here, Montreal's got to come out with a power play. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, Wes and Justine Bear got it exactly right. Four minutes to Montreal or to, to Toronto, two minutes to Montreal. Montreal gets a power play. Montreal's happy they got a power play. I saw uh, Sheldon Keefe, his reaction was like, okay, whatever, because he mm -hmm. knew that, that you, you can't do that. So I don't know why our game has changed like that. We saw it a few weeks ago when, uh, uh, Truba from the Rangers threw out two big hits and he had to fight. He fought at least one of them. I don't understand why when guys throw a good clean hit, yeah. they have to fight now. It, it bothers me. It's just, it, it, that's part of the game. You know, it's part of the game. I don't understand it. Is it just from a fan's perspective is, is hitting down? Like, are we seeing fewer big hits? Uh, for sure. That be triggering the reaction. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, um, Jamal Mayers and I went to that Calgary game here in St. Louis and, and it was the most hits that I'd seen at a blues game all year because Calgary's bigger. They're, 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 they play a heavy game, but there's some nights you go to an NHL game and there's just not a lot of hitting anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, 
And but what's great about the playoffs, and we all see it, is that when that puck drops for the first round, there are guys that haven't thrown a hit all year that are now finishing their checks. And yeah, and that's the best thing about the playoffs. So I don't fault the players because I didn't play in the NHL. You know, I refed, I was staying out of the way. It's got to be a physical grind to play 82 games, yeah. especially now with COVID and playing seven games in, in nine days or 10 days. Your, their bodies have to be exhausted. So yeah. in fairness to them, are they going to want to go out and throw the body every yeah. night? Probably not, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, it, it's got to be. I mean, you, you just look at guys like uh, Shea Weber last year who all season was saying, yeah, I'm not hurt. I'm not hurt. I'm 100% healthy. Totally fine. I'm just right. as banged up as everybody else. Just normal stuff. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of the year, like, physically, I cannot play. Mm-hmm. <laughs> cannot he, play ever again. But he grinded through the playoffs, right? Yeah. Andrew? Yeah. And, oh, yeah. And, and the pain tolerance is legendary, right? But and mm. Jeff Petrie, and and I can't say who I heard it from, but but last year in the finals, he, when he caught his finger on the on the camera hole, he basically couldn't use that finger. They had to they had to shoot it every night for him to play. People don't understand the grind that and the pain that these guys will play through to to play for their team for the chance of winning the Stanley Cup. It's really remarkable. And I don't think there's another sport. Le- I know there's not another sport like it. Well, it's interesting. You often hear after a playoff series, oh, this player has gone for surgery. This player has gone for this surgery, you know, just to fix all the damage after uh-huh. all that, right? Right. Yep. The attrition, the, the pile of injuries after a team is eliminated is always an interesting thing at the end of the year yeah. going you know, back to well, that it was it was great listen i love so montreal to all montreal listeners montreal if it wasn't for covid was going to be one of the as a as a referee you get to pick three or four uh, uh cities for your last games and montreal was going to be uh one of my final games because uh it's so funny i grew up in toronto didn't like the canadians and a funny story to the listeners out there. I was 21 years old. I'm living in New Brunswick. I go up to Montreal for the weekend, like a lot of Maritimers go up for the weekend to watch a couple of the Habs games. And I'm sitting in the stands and they're playing Boston on Friday night and, and Buffalo on Saturday night or Saturday, Sunday. And, you know, I had cheered against Montreal my entire life. And this Friday night game against Boston, you know, the, the, it's the old form. The place is just rocking. The atmosphere there is just undescribable. And Stefan Riche scores, and I'm on my feet cheering. And I cheered for Montreal the whole weekend. And this is a guy that hated Montreal because they, but I couldn't help it. I couldn't help it, Wob, because I got caught up in the atmosphere of that Montreal form. It was just, it, it, it got me. And so I always, I had a special place in my heart whenever I worked there, the fans were so knowledgeable. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember I worked a game there when Mario came back from cancer and Pittsburgh was in town and I just went, I'd always go for a walk in the city during that day game. And, and you could feel the atmosphere and the buzz in Montreal because Mario Lemieux was in town and I'm like, it gives me chills right now. It's like, man, that's when you know this is a hawk. This is the best. This is the yeah. best place. And I worked. Do you remember? Do you remember the year um, Yarosov Halak kind of took over the crease against Washington, yep. and he stopped sixty-five shots yeah, that night against Washington. Mm-hmm. And I was working that game with Dan O'Rourke. And you come out of the tunnel there in Montreal for a playoff game, and they're all waving the towels. And you know, for a kid from New Brunswick of, of fifteen hundred uh, population you go, this is awesome. This is yeah. awesome. So to the Montreal listeners, I, I loved working there. It was the best building. And I loved it tonight with a, even with a smaller crowd, they got the Olay Olay. Olay. <laughs> yeah, we haven't heard that one too much this year. No. There hasn't been very many opportunities between COVID keeping fans out of the building and the losses and the, the losses and the losses. <laughs> <laughs> There's, there hasn't been that much positivity. I think somebody mentioned that the last time there was an Ole Ole was, uh, I think Matthew Perot, it was hat trick against Detroit, which I think was in October, possibly wow. in October. So it was, uh, it's been a while, but I do want to <laughs> just go back. Cause I, I don't get, we don't get a chance to talk to 
NHL refs very often, right? Mm. So I want to go back to the Suzuki thing just for one minute, just to one point. If you are refing that game and say Suzuki's like fired up after that situation, you kind of tell him like it's five nothing. You probably didn't need to lay that hit just to like keep the temperature down, or is it just no. you, you let things sort themselves out? No, I don't have a problem. It wasn't a dirty hit. No, you know what's he supposed to? What's he supposed? To, no, I I I know you're not saying that too, Andrew, but. He just finished his check. He didn't go. He didn't go out of his way to finish it. Mm-hmm. Like, if I'm the coach, I'm like, I want you to play that check, whether it's seven nothing, five nothing, three two. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm sorry, this is hockey. This is NHL hockey. And and he had a guy that's probably three or four inches taller than him that didn't expect him to 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 hit him. So I don't have a problem with that at all. I think you know what. And we saw it. It was five two. All of a sudden, it's now five three, and the you know they're squeezing the sticks. Like mm-hmm. you know, I'm not. I didn't think that they were going to lose the game, but in the third mm-hmm. period, I'm like, if they let in a third goal here, things are going to change. So, yeah, yeah. So yeah, sure. I don't have any problem with with the hits, and you know what? We need more physicality in our game. It's good for our sport. Mm-hmm. Yeah, someone saying who would think Suzuki would make a check. I mean, Suzuki doesn't play a heavy game, but I don't think he shies away from physicality either. Eh, somebody, said, somebody said tonight it was either Chris Cuthbert or Craig Simpson that somebody within the organization, it might have been Marty St. Louis, said he could see this Anderson, Caulfield, Suzuki line playing together for a long time. And hopefully that happens because they, they look good. Well, oh, they they happens. dominated tonight. It was impressive. Absolutely. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I think the combination of like Anderson's speed and size kind of opens up space for the other guys and sure. lets their creativity flow a little bit more. And Suzuki gets to be the defensive guy who takes care of the bag basically, while the other guys get to freewheel a little bit. It seems to work well. I don't know if it'll last forever just because Anderson has kind of had trouble being consistent on like, or at least consistent enough to play on a top line, but maybe he hasn't played with guys that suit him the way that uh, Caulfield and Suzuki do that can create off the rush and, and find him with passes. Cause I, I just wish, Mar- I wish Marty St. Louis had taken, taken over earlier in the year. Cause I predicted Cole Caulfield was going to win the Calder trophy this year. So yeah. <laughs> I think he was the majority pick coming into the season. And uh-huh. I mean, even Trevor Zegris was saying he'd score 40 goals. And I think Caulfield said Zegris would get 70 points so far. Caulfield oh, really? is more right than Trevor, but I think we're going to end <laughs> so up. Zegris, being... Zegris said that about Caulfield. Yeah. Coming into the season. And then Caulfield oh, replied cool. on, on Twitter saying that uh, Zegris would get 70 points, which that's I mean, awesome. he probably will. That, that Zegris kid is unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Like, just sick talent um one last thing that i had for you tim was uh we've been talking a lot on this show about who's going to be the next montreal canadians captain and there's kind of been a split in the fan base over uh brennan gallagher specifically like first of all whether or not he's going to stay during the rebuild because we don't know if he wants to do that although he seemed to have hinted recently that he's more willing now that there's like a plan in place but one thing that we've noticed about Brendan Gallagher over the years is that he gets in your guys' faces a lot. And for a captain, I, I feel like the roles have to change a little bit. Mm-hmm. Do like not as a player, because I think everyone respects Brendan Gallagher's like play, right? He's a very hard-nosed guy. He earns everything he gets. But just as a like communicating with the referees, do you think he has the respect from the officials to be a team captain? I do. And that's a great question you brought up and I hope he does stay with Montreal because he's the type of guy that, you know, I'd hate to see him go somewhere else because I know how much he loves Montreal. I remember it was probably two or three years ago, you know, because more so I'm going to say more so Andrew a few years ago than the last year or two, as far as him getting in the referee's face Cause I think like every player and every official I matured from when I was younger to older and same thing with him. It took him a little, a little longer to mature, but he has, he had that role, right. That um, the player from uh, Detroit uh, that would always stand in front of the net. Holmstrom. Holmstrom. Right. Corey Perry. Brendan Gallagher, Holmstrom, these guys, they're the best at, at 
accidentally falling on the goalie, you know, jam. <laughs> like Gallagher's good at it. And, and, but I remember it was a couple of years ago and I, and I was watching him play and I said, Gally, can I tell you something? And he goes, yeah, Timmy, what, you know, I go, I would, I would have you on my team any year. I go, I love how you play the heart that you have. That's what you want in a captain is somebody that leads by example, doesn't take Brendan Gallagher, doesn't take nights off, right. Leads by example, works his butt off every shift. I could see him being the captain because really other than him on the team, I can't think of anybody that leads by example, night in and night out. But I, I guarantee you it's changed from maybe three or four years ago where he would maybe get into it more with officials. I don't see that being a problem going forward. Very interesting. So I feel like the fan perspective maybe might be a little bit behind on, on that because there's been a lot of people who I've interacted with who think that he's definitely not captain material because of that factor. So that's interesting to hear. I feel like uh, that'll be some good conversation starters over the next few weeks. You know, and like what would he have been two or three years ago? No, but I think now he's, he would be, if they want to name a captain, do you need to name a captain for the next two or three years? If you're mm-hmm. rebuilding, I don't know if it's really that important. Uh, but if you know, is it going to matter whether you have at the end of the day, he's a leader on that team. That is the guy in the dress room that's speaking out, that the guys listen to. So whether he has a C on his, on his Jersey or an A on his Jersey, it's like here in St. Louis, Ryan O'Reilly's a captain, but when Braden Shen speaks up, they, people listen. Braden Shen's the one dropping the, the dropping the gloves with Landeskog. Landeskog took a run of one of uh, Tarasenko, or I don't know who it was, and there's Shen fighting Landeskog, and he's got an A. So even though you don't have a C on your jersey, doesn't mean that you don't have a voice in the dressing room. Hundred percent. Yeah. All right. Uh, was there anything else that you guys noticed during the game that you want to hit on before we close things out? No, no. I made notes. I said I thought the officials did a good job. I was happy for Coffee. Oh, one thing I did want to bring up, and it was Montemblau, Montemblau, blow, blow, Montemblau. <laughs> and is I always liked him when he was in Florida. Like I really He's come on a lot recently. Yeah, like I really liked him as when he was the backup to Luongo in Florida. And I think I did maybe his first couple games. And I'm like, this kid's good. Like, and I don't know how old he is. I I still think he's pretty young. Um, but he's a good goalie and he's a big goalie. And you know, I don't know what the what the Canadians' game plan is as far as goaltending, but I, I like the kid. I liked him when he was in Florida, and and uh, I think did Seattle take him in the expansion draft, or how did Montreal get him? I think they just signed him as a free agent in the summer. Free agent. Yeah, I think his contract was over with uh, Florida, but it was either that or like a because there were low there value were rumors trade. that my, there were rumors that that uh, Seattle was going to take him. He's a good, he's a good goalie. And as we saw in St. Louis with, with Bennington a few years ago, you know, a lot of these goalies don't take off until they're 26, 27 years old. Mm-hmm. Bennington yeah. was 26 when he went on the run. He, mm-hmm. when, when, when uh, um, the St. Louis goalie that got hurt, that gave Bennington the chance. I think was it was Allen? Jake Allen, who's Jake hurt right Allen. now for the Canadians. Right. right. Mm-hmm. How ironic. When but Jake, there was actually some people answering. They got him off waivers. Uh, Florida had to put him through waivers because they have too many goalies, right? Right. Mm-hmm. And and when Jake got hurt, Jake's a great guy, good Fredericton, New Brunswick Maritime boy like myself. <laughs> and and but when Jake got hurt, Billy Huso was actually higher on the depth chart at the time than Bennington, but Huso was hurt at the time. So they brought Bennington up and a lot of people don't know that. And then all of a sudden Bennington, and I think he's going to play this tomorrow night in Philadelphia. uh, Three years ago, his first game was in Philadelphia and nobody had any expectations about Jordan Bennington. And all of a sudden, you know, he went 18, two and one in the, the next 21 games. So, um, goalies, uh, goalies mature a lot and, and kind of find their way 
when they're, you know, I feel bad about Corey or uh, yeah, Corey Hart in, in Philadelphia, because they put, it, when you put expectations on a young goalie at 21, 22, it usually doesn't work out too good. I don't know too many guys that have made it as a young goalie in this league at, at a young age. It mm-hmm. usually happens when they're 24, 25, 26. So. But um, what you were saying earlier, Tim, what Montebleau was doing, uh, what Mrazic wasn't, you know, like he was squaring up, taking the right. pucks rate, you know, on in position and everything. And Mrazic was sliding all over the place. So clearly the Habs won the goaltending battle tonight above all. 100%. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's been something that they haven't been able to do all season long. And I think really early in the season, Montembeau was like, I think playing pretty decent, but the Canadians were playing terrible defensively in front of him. And that kind of broke his confidence a little bit. And then he had a good stretch during the middle of the year where he was just really struggling, or he would have a good first two periods and fall apart in the third, or whether it was fatigue or, you know, just not ready yet. But uh, since the calendar turned to 2022, I think he's put out mostly solid performances despite having uh, a minor injury that he's, I believe, still dealing with right now. So really interesting uh, rest of the season for Montembeau, at least until or when Carey Price comes back. Because And, and you know what, Andrew? One last thing, and I did make a note of it earlier today, was that when when the, the Habs were going through this tough, stretch you know well tough season when things are going bad it really sucks when there's no one in the building okay it sucks and you're sitting up now think about this you're a professional hockey league player you're sitting on the bench you're losing you know you're losing three two all of a sudden they score the fourth goal the fans there's no fans in the building there's nothing there even though listen they're pros. They're supposed to take care of business themselves. They're supposed to be professionals and, and be able to forget about, but make no mistakes. It's a big difference when all of a sudden Montreal comes down to Carolina and Carolina's got 17,000 fans and they're mm-hmm. going crazy. And you don't think Carolina feeds off of that a hundred percent. Mm-hmm. So it's a disadvantage to some of the Canadian teams when they have no fans in the building. And I feel terrible for them because I feel terrible for the owners financially, but it's time that we get the fans back in the building. And uh, I hope that happens soon for the, mm-hmm. for the Canadian markets. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's, I believe we're up to half uh, attendance now as of today, today. I mean, I think that's what made today kind of special, right? Is mm-hmm. right. Today was the first day where they allowed half of the the fan base back, or not half the fan base, but half of the building to be full again. They finally got some people in there, and the team gave well, them something will, to celebrate. This will right? upset. This will upset a bunch, uh, a lot of the liberals. But I've been to five blue teams <laughs> this year, and I haven't got COVID yet. Okay, so let the fans <laughs> let the fans back in the building. You're vaccinated. Show your vax card. What is the purpose of getting not getting or getting vaccinated if you can't go to a hockey game? And if you don't feel comfortable going to the hockey game, then don't go to the hockey game. But it's time to let the fans back in the building. Oh, sorry. I was going to say, I think in Ontario on March 14th, they're going back to full capacity. Full capacity. Yeah, Yeah, I think Quebec is following the same plan as Ontario at this stage. Although I think Quebec is a little bit more... uh, Less or less gun shy about cutting things down quickly if uh, if the case count rises again the the government here has been a little bit more stringent so we'll mm. see how it goes I think as long as you're you're vaccinated you should be able to go into like there needs to be some level of going back into yeah. normal life right it mm-hmm. it's really just when the case counts get too crazy like this Omicron thing was so insane like I don't know about you guys but over the holidays for us. Almost everybody that we knew got it. We got it. It oh, ran yeah. through the whole house. Yeah. And, right. and, I don't want, yeah. and I don't want the viewers or the listeners to think because we're the viewers, because one thing I did read because I was a little outspoken on letting people get back to normal in Canada. We have a lot more hospital beds in the U S and mm-hmm. a lot less in Canada. So that mm-hmm. was the problem, right? Is that they were running out of, hospital beds and the hospitals were overrun. So I get that. I understand that I'm not being uh, insensitive to that, 
Mm. I just, at some point, we've just got to move on with our life and get on with things. And, and I know Canadians have done a phenomenal job of getting vaccinated as most of most Americans have too. And now it's time to try to get back to normal and live some sort of semblance of what we're used to. So mm. that's my rant. And I hope I didn't offend anybody. But <laughs> I, I, I get it. I get both sides and I've got relatives in, in Nova Scotia and Toronto. I completely understand it. But I, I really, I think it's time to let the fans back in the building and the people that want to go, let them make the decision. And if you don't feel comfortable, then don't go. Hmm. Yep. I hope we get yep. back to some level of normalcy soon. I think we all want it. It's been a long two years. Two years, man. Holy Oh, geez. my God. Yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah. Like, we need fans in the building when the playoffs hit. We, yeah, need, yeah. we need Maple Leaf Gardens. We need the Saddle Dome. We need, we need these buildings rocking, you know, yeah. um, because it sucked last year or the year before watching playoff games with no fans in the building. As yeah. much as you tried to put it out of your, you know, your mind, it, it's a difference. And then yeah. it, it had to be tough for those Canadian teams, as I mentioned, then to go down and play in the U.S. and play into a full house and have that home team, that home team has an advantage. So, yeah. I think I think come like you guys said, come playoff time, we'll be back to normal and things will be good. Yeah. I, I really hope so. I think the 2020 playoffs, you kind of got used to it throughout. And then when the Lightning right. won the cup and it was just dead <laughs> silent, that yeah. was the part where it was so weird to me. You know, it was yeah. like even in like a away barn that they still cheer the Stanley cup. Right. right? So it's like yeah, yeah. when the Stanley cup gets rolled out and you just hear like some faint wounds picked up by the arena. <laughs> yeah, mics, I know, I know. And that's it. That, that was, was the great Andrew. That was the great thing about them getting the chance to win it the next year. Exactly. At home yeah, yeah. in front of their fans, mm-hmm. like Pat Maroon's a good friend of mine. You know, he's from, he's a St. Louis guy. And, mm-hmm. and he told me, he says, Peelzy, it was the best. He goes, yeah, it was fun when we won the first one, but we won that second one and we won it in Tampa in front of a full house. He goes, that was fun. That, yeah, no that, doubt. yeah completely yeah. different. So hundred percent. All right. Yeah. Uh, thanks for joining me, you guys. I really do appreciate it. And I appreciate everybody for joining and watching because, you know, it's been a heck of a season. This wasn't uh what we expected when we started this show, <laughs> this uh, <laughs> trial balloon for game over Montreal and, we expected at least a push towards the playoffs. We're not going to get that, but at least we got some exciting games to end the season. And we got Martin St. Louis coaching, which is crazy and exciting and fun. Uh, I actually listened to a podcast that he did last year on uh, a, a show called Puck IQ or Hockey IQ. Let's see. Yeah, Hockey IQ. And he talked about like his essential philosophy of how he wants to coach. And a lot of that was covered in the athletic article by. Arpen Basu and Mark Antoine Godam recently, but fantastic insight into Martin St. Louis and the way he sees the game. So I think that everyone should check out that article and that podcast because there are exciting things that are going to happen in Montreal. And I think this I... disaster season, it is going to be a good result because of it. Right. I agree. They need an not... organizational shakeup. And let's not forget uh, Andrew uh, about Vincent LeCavier. You know, bringing him on board. This is another guy that knows how to win. Him and Marty are great friends. Like you, you, you get you get Jeff Gordon, Ken Hughes, Marty St. Louis, uh, Vincent Lecavier. There's good things ahead for Montreal, and and it, it's probably going to be a lot shorter than people think. You know, two three years from now, this team Montreal is is they've got the foundation there. And they've got the right people in place. And, you know, people want to play for the Montreal Canadiens. Like, mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, good. they've got the right people in place. And at the end of the day, that's what, what it takes. And, and I'm excited to see what those guys can, can do and build on. And I think, I know it's tough for the Montreal fans now, but, hey, you guys had a lot of good years, okay? <laughs> a lot of good years. Okay. So, you know what? It, it's the the pain in the short term i think is going to pay off in the long term yeah, yeah maybe in a couple of years the montreal canadians can also go into the playoffs with high expectations and get bounced in the first round 
I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> wow, right. that was a shot at you, up. It's all good. I've heard them all by this point, right? Yeah, so exactly. Nothing is skin, new. Yeah, exactly. The skin gets thicker and thicker year after year, right? So. I mean, that's the best part of talking to Leafs fans is that nobody makes fun of the Leafs better than Leafs fans. Yeah. No, mm. I know. It's true. There's right. like always a baseline expectation of disappointment, and you know you can't sink much lower than that, right? So. Exactly. All right. Uh, first, Wob, and then to Tim. Tell everybody where they can find your work. Yeah, sure. Uh, well, thanks again for having me on, Andrew and Tim. It's been awesome to hear your stories. Thanks a lot for uh, for you know being a part of this tonight. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Wob at W A U B on Instagram, same handle at W A U B. And if you want to find me on Facebook, it's uh, my full name at Wabagijik Rice. Uh, I'm an author. I got a new novel coming out a year from now, and I'm on the jury for this year's Geller Prize. And uh, watching the Leafs, uh, game in, game out. <laughs> Wab, can I tell you, can I ask you what kind of books you write when you say you're an author? Yeah, I mostly write uh, at this point, you know, post apocalyptic slash dystopian kind of novels. Uh, so mostly modern from- day? Yeah, modern day. Yeah. So <laughs> drawing some inspiration from two years of being locked down, right? So <laughs> very cool. That's awesome. Cool. Thanks. Yeah. Um, Tim, Tim C. Peel, uh, at Tim C. Peel on Twitter, at dailyfaceoff.com. And, uh, you know, I'm pretty out there on, on Facebook. Uh, I don't even know what my handle is on Facebook. I'm sure if you just type in Tim Peel, you'll find me. So, I'm, I'm, I'm loving social media. I was never, as a referee, you're not allowed to be on social media while you're on staff. So um, my last paycheck uh, was September 1st, and then you're allowed to go on social media and kind of live your own life. And, <laughs> and uh, but, you know, I was, I have, a, still have a great relationship with the league. I was talking to Colin Campbell this afternoon. I talked to Bill Daly and Stephen Walkham a couple weeks ago. And as much as, things went down with me it was uh it, it we you know i have a, everything i owe is to the national hockey league and and i'm a big believer and everything happens for a reason and and uh life's good here in st louis and having fun you know coaching with jamal Mayers, and we're having having a good time here and just loving watching hockey and going on shows like yours and 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 trying to you know appeal to other fan bases other than here in st louis so i appreciate you guys having me on a lot Awesome. Thanks for joining me, guys. And uh, we will be back on Wednesday with Laurie Bennett and possibly Steve Dangle. He has confirmed, but he might cancel because he's oh, he Steve might, he Dangle, might eh? Him. Yeah, <laughs> it's the first time he's actually going to be on this show on his own network. I've been trying to get him on all year, but, you know, he's a busy man. Got to do all those uh, Leafs. Fr- I mean, the Leafs and the Habs play on the same day almost all the time. So it's mm. it's tough to get him on right after the game. He's got to record things and he's got a young kid. I've got young kids. I I understand. But I, I got to get Steve on and uh, get him talking about the Leafs and rage a little bit because <laughs> it's just fun poking and prodding him. All right, everybody. We'll see you then. Thanks for tuning in. And it was a, 